right, you degenerate clowns. Week 13 is in the books. We're inching closer to some high-stakes fucking games right now. Just this past week, we had some crazy outcomes that definitely had implications in the playoff picture. We're going to get into that real fucking heavy style. Today, I'm going to be interviewed by none other than Taylor fucking Gillespie. He's an OG in this league. You cannot deny his competitive nature, his passion for the details. I mean, it's only fair that every team has been on the hot seat speaking to the media today. It's my turn. So that's something worth having a boner for right now, I would say. Maybe Jeff Webb will run it back with a segment on Chump of the Week. That'd be worth having a boner for. I did try to mix things up this week with a quick game day phone call. I'm not going to say who it was that I called, but, you know, I kind of liked it. Might try to do that more often. Gentlemen, my boner for this episode couldn't be bigger. I'm pitching a serious tent, thinking ahead to these Week 14 matchups, what they mean, who has to do what to get into the playoff picture. I'm going to go over all that shit. I dropped this on the league thread, but this is seriously looking like the first year we're going to see a crazy playoff seeding tiebreaker come into effect. Two years ago, I believe we had a couple guys really getting screwed. Might have been Jamie having like third highest points in the league, but he missed the playoffs. And we explored the luck of scheduling. We rotated schedules around, compared what everybody's record would be like if we didn't change schedules. And the result of this science experiment is that it really is the luck of the draw. So we decided not to punish teams who score a ton of points. I think we have to credit Bunitz for this idea, but basically, the last team in the playoffs, seventh seed, has now nothing to do with your record. It is literally whoever has the highest points. Now, this hasn't really been a thing the last two years because the last team has been also the one that has the best record and the highest points. This year, DeBose squad has second most points in the league, and his record currently sits at 5-8. and eight. That's going to be a tough pill for some of you guys to swallow. There could be multiple teams with a better record that are going to get leapfrogged for that seven seed. It's going to be drama. It's going to be great. We'll talk more about it, but seriously, we got to talk about what happened in week 13. Moose Knucklers first Gronks of Wrath. Let's start with this matchup. We talked about this last week, that Ryan was going to need a miracle. Two solid players for Ryan were on by this week, Devontae Adams, Chuba Hubbard. Ryan has been surging. He crawled out of the bottom this year, the slums of the league. Now he's in the mix for playoffs. But here he is going up against Taylor's 8-4 and four squad. Kind of shitty timing for Ryan. Not to mention that Taylor has to always remember that 2018 championship where Ryan punched him in the testicles and stole the trophy. On paper, this smelled like it could have been a blowout by Taylor. But it wasn't. Ryan didn't have many options to stream at quarterback. He went with Carson Wentz here, who had a favorable matchup against the Houston Texans, but this only gives him 15 points. Ezekiel Elliott, he got outplayed by Tony Pollard this week. That was eight points for Ryan. Miles Sanders came back with a vengeance, 25 points. He got 19 from Tyler Lockett, 20 from Hunter Renfro. Amari Cooper only gave Ryan six points. So Ryan is done after Sunday night football. He's sitting there at 130.65 points. Now, Taylor, at that point, had 122 points going into Monday Night Football and only Stephon Diggs to play. So how did this happen? 24 from Lamar Jackson, 16 from Saquon Barkley. Taylor got 24 from Lenny Fournette, only 5 from Terry McLaurin, 21 from Gronk. If anyone witnessed Monday Night Football, classic Northeast winter showdown, cold, fucking snow everywhere, it was defensive as fuck, not a lot of passing. That meant Diggs had like five points at halftime, enough to give Ryan hope with a three-point lead going into the fourth quarter of Monday Night Football. But then it happened. Josh Allen, he drops back and throws a bomb into the wind. 
Diggs makes a nasty catch. He stays in bounds. And that was it. Nothing else happened. But Taylor walks away victorious here. 131.35 to 130.65. Taylor wins by seven-tenths of a point. Ryan's playoff hopes are suddenly in serious jeopardy. He falls to 6-7. and seven. Taylor's dishing out a glass of pain and disappointment. Not quite like losing in the championship, but if Ryan misses the playoffs because of this loss, it'll definitely be a small taste of revenge. Buffalo expectations versus Mob Debo. All right, we knew going in this had all the makings of a gritty punch-you-in-the-hamstrings kind of matchup. Both squads were 6-6. Six and six. Adam actually playing this week without Debo Samuel. Andrew and Pollock playing without Darren Waller and Aaron Jones. They must have been fed up with Russell Wilson because they kicked him to the curb. They dropped him to the waivers and went all in on Kirk Cousins. So Kirk Cousins throws down 28 points. Adam, he finally got some decency going at quarterback with Joe Burrow. He gets him 22 points there. Adam also got 12 from Joe Mixon, 25 from uh, Madison, 17 from Mike Williams, 16 from Mike Evans, only five from Travis Kelsey. Andrew and Pollock, they got 20 from Austin Eckler, 12 from Darrell Williams, 11 from DeAndre Hopkins, only seven apiece from Claypool and Darrell Mooney. This game was still up for grabs on Monday Night Football. A Buffalo Bills defensive pick six and possibly starting Michael Gallup, Andrew and Pollock might have been victorious this week, but instead, Adam is victorious here, 118 to 109. Adam improves to seven and six. Andrew and Pollock are now 6-7, and seven, but still right in the mix for that final playoff spot. Cousin fuckers versus the Danimals. Bunis and Tim were shafted yet again by McCaffrey last week. It almost seemed like that was it. Their hopes of a late-season run have to be over, right? Well, they were lucky this week that they were facing DeBoe, who had Aaron Rodgers and DeAndre Swift on the bench. Debo scooped up Derek Carr who pulled out 16 points. Jonathan Taylor was, you know, Jonathan Taylor, 33 points. Another solid week for Elijah Mitchell, 20 points. Only 10 for Jamar Chase, 18 for Jalen Waddle. If this game was supposed to come down to boners, Debo unleashed a half chub, and he was hoping that that would be enough to climax. Bunis and Tim, on the other hand, they got a boner for the ages. Maybe not a boner for the record books, but a very well-timed boner, like when you get your annual physical and some old man grabs your nuts. Just kidding. No one would get a boner in that situation. But Bunis and Tim did indeed get a great boner here. I'm talking 41 from George Kittle, 31 from Deontay Johnson, 41 from the GOAT Tom Brady. Never mind that Darrell Henderson didn't even play and they left him in with zero points. That didn't matter. Keenan Allen got 22 points before going straight to the IR. The cousin fuckers found a way to get it done here. 171 to 133. Bunis and Tim are 6-7. and seven. Debo is 5-8. and eight. And the all-time series is now tied 4-4. Four to four. The Old Dirty Bastards in the Team of Zeros. This recent little rivalry between Chris and Jamie dates back to last year's playoffs. Chris Hill was first in points, but he got the two seed. Jamie was third in total points, and he got the seven seed. We all remember what happened, right? Jamie took that seven seed straight to the championship. Chris went home early, wondering what the fuck happened to such a loaded squad with championship potential. Earlier this season, Chris had a shot at revenge, and he took Jamie to the woodshed, 156-99 to in Week 2. With Chris's playoff hopes blowing in the wind this week, was a chance to piss on Jamie's dreams and find some real redemption from last year's playoff loss. Jamie opted to throw Mark Ingram into running back spot with Alvin Kamara out on Thursday Night Football. The problem is, Taysom Hill got 
all the rushing here. Ingram ends with five points. James Robinson had his worst game of the season, three points. Dak didn't play that great, 15 points. Jamie could have used the 26 points Josh Jacobs left on the bench, as well as the 23 from Devonta Freeman. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Chris must have had revenge in his eyes. He saw Jamie taking out the trash in his underwear and popped out of the shadows. He clobbered him with a broken toilet seat he found in the alley. 39 from Kyler Murray. 27 from Damian Harris. Fucking Bills run defense. Fuck that. 21 from Tony Pollard. 15 from TJ Hawkinson. The final score here was 142 to 114. Both squads are now 6-7, and seven, considered to be long shots to get in the playoffs. All-time series is now tied 5-5. Five five. Riot Punch first two scoops of Herbert. Yes, Shane was involved in a trade last week to rebuild for next year, and that means no Najee Harris. And that hurts an already vulnerable roster. But Shane is not one to roll over and spoon with a stranger. Even if his hands and legs are tied up, he will headbutt you if necessary. Now Radke, he saw Shane tied up in the hotel room and wondered if this was a bad prank like something Borat would do. But he locked the door behind himself anyway and he tried to have his way with Shane. Before he could even do anything questionable, Justin Herbert gave him a kick to the gallbladder with 35 points. Elijah Moore, 21 points. Dallas Goder, a headbutt, 29 points. Radke was caught off guard by Shane's point scoring and he started bleeding from his lip. But then he smiled after tasting the blood and started blasting George Michael and Wham! music. Radke overpowered Shane with 36 points from Javante Williams, 29 from T. Higgins, 26 from Antonio Gibson, only 15 points from Patrick Mahomes. But that was all it took for Shane. He was again left in a miserable pile of sodomy. Still alive, but vying for revenge, not just on Radke, but every member of this league to take advantage of his vulnerability. Radke improves to 9-4, and four, Shane 2-11. and 11. Mazel Tov Cocktails vs. Victory Formation Thursday night football came around. I was ready to launch Alvin Kamara back into battle after three weeks of being injured. But yet again, he was ruled out. I'm sitting here starting to stare at the reality that I no longer can rely on Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, or Alvin Kamara. I even traded away Elijah Mitchell. Am I throwing in the towel in this season if I just do nothing? I mean, I've had it in the back of my mind. I could trade the draft rights to Derrick Henry to get a piece to help me win this year. The trade that made the most sense for both parties was me to approach Shane for Najee Harris. I made this move with hopes that I would be walking away victorious this week and maybe making a little run here into the playoffs. So the projections going in this game were me winning by maybe 8 to 10 points. Then Sunday comes around. Justin unleashed an arsenal of weapons. Let's not forget, he did this to me in week two as well. But in that game, I had 61 points from Derrick Henry and 37 from Cooper Cup to bail me out. This time, Justin clearly remembered what happened last time and made sure that his first shot was a kill shot. Punch first, punch hard. Justin gets 32 from David Montgomery, 36 from Justin Jefferson, 31 from Chris Godwin, even 29 from Sony Michelle. not to mention after... Andrew and Pollock said, fuck it to Russell Wilson. Justin scoops him up. He throws a couple TDs. There's 23 points. Justin put this game away, way out of reach on Sunday afternoon. In my defense, I didn't have friendly matchups, but I get spanked pretty fucking hard here, 194 to 128. Ironically, this was very similar to the spanking I gave him in week two, 192 to 120. But clearly, making multiple trades has not materialized into wins for me. I fall here 7 to 6. Justin improves to 9 and 4 and is in first place in this league. 
Now, what you're about to hear is a new segment I'm calling Live on Game Day. I was sitting there thinking after the Lions got their first win of the season, I should call DeBo real quick and get his reaction. Yo, my farts up. Como se llama? What's up, brother? Listen, dude, I'm just driving to the hardware store, and uh, I just thought I need to ask you about your Detroit Lions and uh, how you feel about that, getting that first victory of the year. Well, you never want to go over again, right? Um, but uh, it still doesn't matter. Just get the first pick and move on. There's no talent on the roster. We knew that. Well. So, I mean, you didn't dump Gatorade on your son or anything? Like, it wasn't that kind no, of No, man. Listen, you know you know what's going on here, K-Flow. Come on. Like, they should have five wins easy right now. But, you That's know, fair. let's let's lose in the last second of three of the games and blow a lead in one of the others. And then, you know, it is what it is. That stupid tie as well. You, you know, you or I could have kicked that field goal in overtime against the Steelers, man. That guy was a bum. That was ridiculous. He got he got cut though. He got cut immediately after the game. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not putting up with that shit in Detroit anymore. Nah, dude. I think the coaching staff's pretty decent, but um, there's just not enough talent right now. There's some some of the best players that are on the team are all out for the season on IR, anyways. Um, but there's some good rookies. Though the rookie class is pretty good, and they've all contributed well. So whatever. It is what there it is. So well, baby. Same old lions every single year. <laughs> Did you have the paper bag out ready to go? No, I wasn't even watching it, man. I was out. I was looking up on GameCast off and on. I didn't watch any of it. Dude, how many victories are they going to have to get before you start watching the games again? It's going to have to. Next year is going to have to start. I'll be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Like I have yeah. no interest whatsoever. Um, and it's, it's typical every year, you know. I mean. You get uh, when you're mediocre or garbage and never good. There's by the time uh, it's it's called Lions Logic. Usually after about week eight, we're done for the season. If you're a diehard, <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you what, dude, it's easy enough to go on fucking see the ESPN highlight of that game-winning touchdown pass or in your phone in two seconds. So, you know, exactly, exactly. I was on the fantasy app more than anything. There you go. <laughs> you're you're in a tight tight matchup in that game too. I guess we'll see how that one plays out. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But you know, who knows, man? Well, I'm on. A, I'm I'm starting to hopefully gain some momentum. So we'll see. I'm still pissed about that whole T.Y. Hilton Taylor Gillespie game because I'd be a decently high man. seed by now. But it is what it is, man. We got to get you in there, K. Flow. Well, I'm getting my ass kicked right now, and I don't have a Derrick Henry to pull 60 points out of his ass this afternoon, so I might be in trouble. Yeah, but he's out for the season anyways. That was a good trade. You made a good move. All right. Well, fuck <laughs> yeah, bro. Uh, just just had to hit you up, man. I'll uh, look, let you get back to your biz. All right. We'll talk it up later, man. Recorded line, right. baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah, <laughs> lion. Later, bro. <laughs> Live on game day. Good shit. Also, strange to say live when it was four days ago, but whatever. So, before my interview with Taylor, 
I'm going to share with you guys some data on some stats that I gathered from the last seven years of this league. I mean, the question I'm asking myself is, how much do high points really equate to championships? So let's start with this. Highest points for the season has only resulted in taking home the trophy two times. Runner-up, two times. Second-round playoff, twice. And finally, a first-round playoff loss once. So essentially what I'm saying is highest points has always made the playoffs, but only finished in the money four out of seven years, that being two championships and two runner-ups. Decent odds, but not a slam dunk if you got high points that you're going to win some money. So I'll break that down just a little bit further with who those teams were. Here we go. The only two teams to win the championship and also be first in total points were Bunis and Tim in 2019 and Debo in 2017. Then, the only two teams to win the championship and finish the season third in total points were Jamie last year in 2020 and Merrill in 2014, if you guys remember that dude. And then, the only time a champion won with the second and highest points was Justin in 2015. Then Ryan, who was the champion in 2018, he was seventh highest in total points. That's only happened one time. He was ironically a seventh seed that year as well. Jeff was the sixth in highest points in 2018, and he also won the chip. So how does that relate to this year? Let's read off the current top three. Myself, despite my seven and six record, I got 2,042 points leading the league. Debo. Number two in the league with 1,953, and currently sitting in third in total points is Justin at 1,841. Still can't wrap my mind how it fucking happened that Debo is sitting there five and eight and has over 100 more points than Justin, who's nine and four. So, I mean, what did this research reveal? I don't know. Maybe that most points is no guarantee of the champion, but if you're in the top three, you'll probably be in the mix. Anyways, here's my fucking interview with Taylor. is being recorded hello kevin yes sir how you doing bud you know i'm doing all right i'm doing all right i think this is going to be kind of fun role reversal so yeah i mean i i get to see what you guys have felt like every week this season so it's gonna be dope i'm gonna do my best to put you in the hot seat although i don't know if i have any really like damning questions to ask you but let's uh let's talk <laughs> about the league to start you know i mean it's you're the commish you spend a lot of time each year um, trying to coordinate everything. You know, you spend a lot of time with the live draft, you know, overall maintenance of the league, research, you know, to put all together with stats. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel about the league in general? And specifically, how do you feel about this year? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you brought up all those things, and that's true. I mean, like managing what this league has become – is definitely probably not like managing your standard fantasy football league uh, because we've sort of set a precedent that we're trying to be better. And it's, yes, it's more work for me, but it's like satisfying when everybody's into it. And um, I mean, like we've made some really cool changes to rules. Uh, we figured out how to like get everybody on board with these changes and I mean, I think we have become a very unique, nuanced fucking fantasy football league. And I'm just excited about what we've done this year and where it could be going. Dude, sounds great. I, I also concur on that note. I do love the league and uh, enjoy being a part of it. You got any, uh, like, right off the bat, predictions for this year? One, two, three. And who's going who's gonna, to, like, really finish last place in the loser bowl? You know, this is the first year where, yeah. you know, the – 
the guys that don't make the playoffs have a little something to fight for. If there's 200, you know, you get your buy-in back if you win. And if you lose all your games, you are officially last place. So Shane, who's bringing up the rear, I mean, he could go in there and go on a little winning streak, and he's not he's not eating a thousand pie pancakes at IHOP. What do you uh, what do you feel as far as uh, you know who's going to lose, who's going to win, how it's all going to play out? Yeah. So like I have been looking at the analytics of the numbers and how this has kind of played out over the years, and it's I mean we know we've had seven seeds win. Something I'm in, I dove a little bit into is like high points, like how relevant is high points to actually like turning that into a championship. And it's not always the case. So I almost want to look back at patterns of what's happened before, but that also like is we've just proven that that doesn't like none of it is like a real predictor other than the fact that it's very uh, spontaneous, like, like it's not really predictable, but the things that I'm looking at right now in the league are yes, my team was looking pretty fucking solid. And a lot of things like there was a lot of pieces that were there and I'm and I'm like kind of thinking like I don't know, could this be my year? And and for fuck's sake, I don't know if those pieces are like gelling right now at the right time and I'm nervous. We've talked about Debo and how his team's kind of been surging. He appears uh destined for the seven seed and the seven seed we already know has been uh, kind of a lucky seed in the tournament. No, you can um, definitely win it out of the seventh. We, you know, that's, that's happened a number of times. Oh, yeah. We, we've proven that. In fact, seven seeds won just as many times as the first seed. I think there's a weird curse that's been with the first seed in the first round bye. You and Justin have a hell of a game this week. Um, that will help dictate who gets that first round bye. It could end up being Radke in the first spot. I don't know that the first round I, – I think whoever gets that first round bye may not – actually end up winning the championship. Okay, bold prediction. I'm thinking, from... yes, yes, that is my first thing. And I would say, based on the top three right now, I think one of you will get to the championship. I think between Justin Taylor and Radke, it'll be one of those three. Yeah, I, think... I know. I wish you would have told me my record against uh, Justin when it was like – it was like two and six, and then he beat me, and I'm like two and seven against. It's like, oh, it's so painful. And the the week after, he scored like 80 points. I'm just like, don't know. Every time he plays me, he puts up like a buck 80, and it just like is brutal. Uh, he's got some firepower Man. in the receiving core. Um, no joke, no joke. Any who's the biggest surprise this year? You think that's hanging around that could get to the dance? Um, I mean, we've kind of said it a lot, like at this point, but I think everybody wrote off Debo as fucked by injuries and just not going to get anything together. Kind of crazy that he's put together so many points and is actually in the discussion right now. Um, Ryan, he's definitely in that same discussion, like started off terrible one in five. Now he's like, even if he ends up missing the playoffs, like he, he made a good fucking run out of it. But yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. But I mean, that's just talking about surprise from like a success standpoint. Quite honestly, the biggest surprise to me is how Shane went from, like, top three in points and just on the verge of one of the worst records we've ever seen. And I just don't know how those collection of players that he has didn't turn into a playoff team. Oh, 100%. I mean, after the draft, looking at his roster, it was going like, well, he's a shoe in Like, he's going to be a fucking tough out every week. Yeah. And it's amazing. Um, he's lost some tough ones. Agreed. Any uh, any regrets as far as this year goes? Just things that you could think you could have handled better, things that didn't play out the way that you had hoped? Ooh, yeah. Good question on 
right there. I mean, I always want to be on top of my game as Kamish. I want this to be like this fucking badass experience for everyone. It started with the draft, and I will say, like, I still want that perfect draft, the perfect in-person draft. We still had to default to some things in the draft that were, like, not ideal, having to refer to that, like, Google document, but also just the fact that, like, things like, you know, what the buy-in for the league is and some solidified rules going into the season that, I mean, I'll take some accountability for not taking more initiative to locking this down, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it... it would be easier if, you know, um, people are more responsive when I do shit like that. But either way, the regret I would say is like going into the season, not having shit more dialed in, but I do think we are going to be hundred percent dialed in for next year, including draft. So no, sounds great. I mean, I, I agree with the, I, I think that's a nice sentiment, you know, um, definitely the way we want things to be, you know, it's tough. I mean, you're kind of uh, in, a, in like a no win situation, you know, you either like push everyone to fucking <laughs> respond and like pester everyone. And then everyone's just like, Oh, then you're like, uh, or no one responds. <laughs> and then you're just like left being like, well, I'm just going to make the decision. Anyway. Um, on that note, yeah. on the rules changes, uh, what are some that you want to preview that we throw out there that like can be brought up, you know, within the league maybe to get everyone's opinion and then obviously voted on in the panel uh, to submit some things. Yeah. It'd be nice to do a, do a little rules change preview. Some things you got in mind you want to talk about or? Sure. Yeah. yeah there's backwards. one that no, no. I mean, there's a few that's worth bringing up. But one that I'm kind of excited about that I think has just been a fucking nuisance to the league that I don't think it adds to the game is yes, we have three IR spots and like we have these rules in place for like, if somebody doesn't have a player, you know, if that you've got somebody in the IR and they're like doubtful, they're out and all of a sudden they get activated, you know, before the game or the day before, like yeah, 10 minutes, everything before, like 10 minutes before and like the Bose case, the TY. And if we're able to create a spot that you self declare, like even if it's some point in the week, you're like, I don't care if that guy's healthy or not. He's going on my IR. So even if he ends up active, you don't get fucked by that. And you could scoop up another guy on waivers and just say, like, I'm playing – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this dude for that guy no matter what. And then you don't have to kind of get fucked around by it. And, I mean, this does still have to pass a vote, but I think that's one yeah, cool I mean, rule. I, I, I like that rule as well. You know, instead of just losing that third IR spot, having it some sort of self-declare IR. Um, you know, I wonder how that works in real time. I think that there's, you know, is it still the same, um, like, no, denotations to put people on IR? You know what I mean? Do they have to have been questionable? Do Like, how do, you know, yeah. what? how do you put, can you put anyone on your team on IR? And if that's the case, that should it be like a multiple week thing that they have to stay there, kind of like the NFL? That could be interesting. Um, I think yeah. that, that needs to be hashed out a little bit, but um, I think that yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah. Any thought to adding a, um, you know, an extra flex play? So you play two flexes? Yeah, I think that should be discussed as well. Um, if we are going to potentially add anything in roster size, like if we go up like, okay, you can have one more player, then I think there it could be an interesting element to adding a second flex. Um, and so the extra roster size wouldn't actually turn into an extra bench spot, but another flex player that you have to play, which uh, may not be somebody who you consider game ready or a starter, but that person is now, you know, fully competing every week could be, could be a rule that, you know, could enhance the game. And if nothing else, it's, it's worth discussing. I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think there is a level of, you know, you really want, you know, a backup for each position really, you know what I mean? So 
having that extra flex play, you know, you, sometimes you got valuable guys sitting on the bench. You just can't play everybody. So that's kind of cool. Let's see what else here. Um, how about the trade deadline? Um, and, and in that connotation, uh, <laughs> trading for draft picks, it's never happened mid season, but, uh, how do you feel about mm-hmm. that whole topic where, you know, I could trade you, you know, pre draft deadline, obviously, but I could trade you, you know, my decent guy who's a pretty good guy for your third round pick. You know what I mean? Yes. I see people trying to grab on that as they're building a playoff run, but how do you feel about that and, and the trade deadline in general? I do think that it's going to be something people want to have a trade deadline, especially when you have the ability to trade a keeper who's like in Derrick Henry's sake is um, out for the season, but he has value. And it, I had a fucking hard time trying to decide if, am I just going to let this season potentially unravel or should I get something for Derrick Henry while I can? And, you know, this year I was lucky that, you know, we didn't have a trade deadline in place and I was able to hold off on this. But if we did have a trade deadline in place, we'd have to decide how early that needs to be, whether it's week 11, week 10, week 12. But, you know, then if I was to make a, you know, a big decision like this, like I did with, you know, Derrick Henry for Najee Harris, I probably would have been forced to make that decision earlier. So, I mean, I think trade deadlines, one thing that'll, that'll go in, but I think when it comes to, to draft picks, or at least I like that we have it draft value. And I don't know how many people have really capitalized on the draft value of a player and their keeper status and incorporated that into a trade. But there's also like maybe not many situations where that is like, there's not many players that are like, Oh, let me get your eighth rounder uh, wide receiver. And, and if you're going to keep that guy, um, you know, he, is he really good enough to build on, on for next year? Like if you, I mean, I will say one guy thrown out there, I think Debo Samuel is a sixth or seventh round keeper right now. I think Debo Samuel has played himself into a position where he's worth more than that. So if somebody were to move Debo Samuel, that might be like, yeah, I might actually keep that guy. Um, and then you might give up a piece that you know you're not going to keep just to be better next year. But where it gets hairy, in my opinion, is just empty draft picks. Um, we've never done that before. If you're, if so, if you're like, I'm going to leverage my future for future first-round draft picks, you don't know where you're going to land in the first round and, you know, how many years are you fucking your team's future up. And, like, if, say, you make this draft pick, you get a good player who immediately tears his ACL, is out for a season, and you know that you now have another year where you don't even get a first-round draft pick I mean, your incentive to keep playing, like, that that might be tough, you know. And so there might be some stuff to iron out with draft picks, I think. Like, it, just blank draft picks. I mean, what are your – Sure, we'll no, have to hear 100%. Thoughts, I, but. Yeah, I'd like to hear everyone's <laughs> thoughts as well. I just thought it was an interesting thing that had been brought up in uh, before in conversation and uh, just wanted to see how everyone felt about it. It's never actually happened in season, but we don't have any rules in place, and I think that as long as the trade deadline is a reasonable week being, like, 9 or 10 – you know what I mean? Like maybe 10 is the, mm-hmm. the, the, the trade deadline. You know, you, there's, you're still in play. So you don't have teams that just know that they're out of the playoffs saying, hey, I'll trade you my starter for your draft for your third round pick. You know what I mean? And yeah. there's also the other side of it is like, well, you know, if you have a third rounder, do you really – like if, you're, if you have a third round keeper, do you, can you even trade that pick? That, that pick's worth something. How does that value in? Uh, anyway, I thought yeah. it was an interesting thing. We should all discuss um, – 
what else? Let's see. I, overall, the league, I know I love the league. I've spoken to that at the beginning, kind of. Is there any, like, big picture directional stuff that you kind of, like, see the league going in or you'd like to see it, you know, change more in a fundamental way, just the way we interact or anything like that or just big picture? I've kind of joked about this before, but, like, if if it got to a point where everybody's team is just, like, almost – like I don't want to say commercialized, but to the point where like somebody, if somebody who's not even in this league wants to root for you and actually like follow our league, they're just like, yeah, I have no money. Yeah. I have no money staked in this league, but like I'm rooting for my boy, you know, Radke and I just want to see how he competes. And I'm going to listen to the shit that's on the podcast because it seems like an interesting league. That would be an interesting place to get to. But I mean, I think, in order to like it keep advancing what we've been doing, I mean, we're going to have to raise the stakes with money. And I think that unfortunately is probably going to lead to some people who are like wanting to do this, but not wanting to dive into the level of like engagement that it might turn into, whether it's just like, I mean, everybody did an awesome job this year. I will say on taking my 10 minute phone calls for the podcast, you guys are fucking cool. You guys were great sports, I, and but th- maybe even finding a way to like take that engagement to another level next year, even if it's not a full ten minute interview, but like more little small segments, just something that's just like how can we like ha- be engaged and just like raise the stakes a little bit. I don't know, whatever whatever that means. No, that's great. Kind of like uh, fantasy football meets social media meets YouTube. Um, yeah. Maybe during the live draft next year you know, set up a bunch of different cameras, uh, cameras in like a confessional and you could like shoot it like a episode of fucking the real world or whatever. You know what I mean? Live draft. <laughs> I could go on. Yeah. Cool. If, uh, there's some video element to it too. Totally. Yeah, man. Uh, sounds great. Uh, any, I, you know, I don't got much else for you. Um, okay. One thing I will say about the draft is I'd love to be there, you know, um, just have to make it across country. Sometimes I would, I do think that like some sort of uh, you know drafting mechanism where there's a clock and you have like you have your two minutes and if you don't make your pick, you know you can do it remotely from like a device. I think that should be we should go back to that route. I think it would make things a yeah. lot easier. The five hour drafts are kind of tough. Uh, I I, but I wish I was there. I wish I was there. <laughs> oh, we're gonna find a way to get you there, one way or another. Like we'll find a way. Like if we're all there, it's going to be bananas. It's going to be like one of the funnest things everybody does this year. Like in, I guess 2022 I'll say, but we'll find a way. We'll make a push. It's going to be dope. Uh, also, I don't know how much money this will convert to, but everybody, the free agent fund, you know, we do have a collection coming soon for some extra dollars, but whatever that pot comes into, if, you know, 10 of us put in 30 transactions, that's $300 that we did vote is going to go towards a draft house. I mean, it's not much, but, you know, if we're doing two nights and maybe it's like yeah, five or six hundred a night. I, I pick it up guys off the waiver and just dropping them just, you know, just to try to contribute. <laughs> just to raise the pot. Dude, that's a, that's, right. that's exactly why you got to be there, man. Like you've already paid yeah. for the house, whether you like it or I not. I know. Gosh, <laughs> I know. All right, Levine, uh, any, any like final, uh, final thoughts, any shit to talk, anyone you want to call out, anything you want to confess? Man, you know, like just another fucking season of of close calls of like fuck, I should have subbed that guy in or that guy. One one game makes a difference. Of course, the fucking cousin fuckers beat me again. Uh, fuck those guys, but you know, uh, appreciate them and what they bring to the league. But this playoffs, I I I think it's gonna be a good one. I think it's gonna be a fucking fun 
crazy playoffs, whatever happens, it's it's going to be interesting. So I'm fucking stoked for that. And that's all I got, man. Thanks for interviewing me, taking the time to do that. And, you know, much love to everybody in this league. You guys are the shit. Boom shakalaka. All right, that was my interview. Props to Taylor for taking the time to do that. Here's the big week 14 matchups that we drew out of a sock a few weeks ago. Mazel Tov cocktails versus two scoops of Herbert. Shane is, yes, mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but could he still fuck me up? Well, the answer is yes and no. The best case scenario for me is the four seed at this point. If I win, Adam wins and he'll get the five seed. If I lose and Adam wins... He'll get the four seed and I'll get the five seed. It appears no matter what, this week Adam and I are a lock to play in the first round of the playoffs. Jamie versus Radke. Is the defending champ going to miss the playoffs? ESPN is giving Jamie a 17% chance, but if he beats Radke, what does Jamie need to get in the playoffs? He needs Andrew and Pollock to lose. They have to lose. He also needs the cousin fuckers to lose or at least not score very much to pass him in total points. So no big deal, right? Just beat the second place 9-4 Radke? What's at stake for Radke, though? He could drop to 9-5, and five, and at the very worst, he's going to get the three seed. Could Radke end up with the number one seed again? Yes. All he's got to do is win here against Jamie and also have more points than Justin or Taylor, whoever wins that matchup. Justin currently has more points than Radke. So if Justin loses, Radke would have more points than Taylor. But if Justin wins, he might still get the second seed because Justin has more points than him. So we would have to get more points than Justin and win. Justin versus fucking Taylor. This game of the week, maybe the season, we got 9-4 and four Taylor, 9-4 and four Justin. One seed definitely on the line here. If Justin wins, he gets the first round bye. If Taylor wins... He also needs to have more points than Radke to get the first round by. But regardless of the one seed being on the line, there's respect on the line as well. Just two weeks ago, Justin beat the shit out of Taylor 170 to 130. If they get into the playoffs, maybe one seed, two seed, they can meet again in the championship like 2015. Mob Debo versus the Moose Knucklers. We learned a minute ago that the best Adam can get is the four seed and the worst he can get is the five seed. So winning isn't a huge deal this week. Ryan, on the other hand, has to not only win to get in the playoffs, he needs other teams to lose. He needs Andrew and Pollock to lose the most, Jamie to lose, Bunis and Tim to lose, or at the very least, he has to win and score 85 more points than Jamie and 62 more points than Bunis and Tim. I don't think a loss by myself or Adam would change anything for Ryan because of total points here, but more than anything, Ryan will need Andrew and Pollock to lose. Buffalo expectations versus the Danimals. It's crazy to say, but Debo is truly a lock for the seventh seed. He could lose and be five and nine and still get in. Now, Andrew and Pollock, they have to win to get in. There's still a scenario that they could win and don't get in, but it's pretty unlikely. Jamie would have to win and score 59 more points than they score. So that's like 159 points, and they'd have to score 100. So Andrew and Pollock really just got to win, and they'll not only get the sixth seed, but they'll crush the hopes and dreams of all these other squads trying to get in. Now, if they lose, that opens the door for everyone else to make a little run at it. It gets interesting. 
So the key here with all these other games is Andrew and Pollock gotta lose. Cousin fuckers versus the old dirty bastards. Both these squads, six and seven, and both have the odds stacked against them to get in these playoffs. Bunis and Tim and Chris not only need to win, but they are going to need, like we said, Andrew and Pollock to lose. And not only do they have to lose, but they probably need Jamie to lose as well. Bunis and Tim have better odds than Chris at getting in the playoffs because they have 200 more points than Chris. The only scenario that Chris can get in at this point is he has to win. Andrew and Pollock have to lose. Jamie has to lose. And Ryan has to lose. And that's a lot of shit to need. But we're... I mean, stranger things have happened, but ESPN gives Chris a 25% odds of getting in. Bunis and Tim have a 65% odds of sneaking into these playoffs. So that's it, gentlemen. From here on out, no scheduled interviews. I'm going to be trying little different segments, random phone calls. I might hit you up and ask you how you're doing on a matchup. We'll see how it goes for the playoffs. I anticipate a very entertaining playoffs, but for right now, let's see what kind of moves get done this week in week 14. Good luck out there, fellas. Kamish out. Peace.